0: The 12 signs of the Zodiac are divided into four clusters of three signs. Each cluster takes its name from one of the four elements. And in this week's episode of Fabulous Folklore, we're going to have a look at the three fire signs, Aries, Leo and Sagittarius. Let's get into it. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Cedric, blogger, fantasy author, and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there, and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. Can you believe it? We're finally into 2021 at last. I don't want to wish time away because that would be silly because we kind of can't get it back but I think I'm not the only one who will be interested to see what 2021 has in store for us. I'm not going to say I'm glad to see the back of 2020 because for all we know 2021 might be worse but I just kind of think it'd be quite cool to see what we can expect. Now obviously this does rely somewhat on a slightly arbitrary man-made concept of time Because I'm pretty sure that humans are probably the only species who've just celebrated a new year. But there we go. It is one of those things that we do. We do love our rituals and all that kind of jazz. So it will be interesting to see how this next allotted period of time pans out. But enough of me. Waffling about time. I hope everybody had a nice New Year, whatever it was that you chose to do. Obviously, Newcastle went into Tier 4, like, just in time for New Year's Eve. I mean, I didn't have any plans anyway, so I was just kind of like, okay, whatever. But then when they were like, oh, you can only leave the house for a reasonable excuse, I was like, does that include first footing? And I've obviously I'll link to the episode on first foot and below just in case anyone hasn't heard it. But I did I did obviously go out and do our first footing as always, and I did it properly this year because in the previous two years I did kind of fluff it a little bit. So I've tried to make sure that I did everything spot on this time round. Although I take no responsibility for twenty twenty turning out the way that it did, just because my first footing wasn't quite on point. But anyway, we are now starting. It- Brand new theme with a brand new month and a brand new year here on Fabulous Folklore. And can you believe that the podcast is almost two years old? Oh my god. I'm so pleased that people have actually wanted to hear it. And that's why I'm keeping it going really because people enjoy it, which is awesome. I've had some lovely comments from people throughout 2020 saying how much the podcast has actually meant to them and it's been a really nice way of keeping them going and keeping them entertained and giving them like a nice little safe space of escapism when things have been getting a bit much. So if that has been what the podcast has meant to you, then you're welcome. I'm glad I could help. If on the other hand you like listening just because you like weird stuff, then we've got plenty of weird stuff coming as well, so you're covered. So we are starting a new theme and it is going to be looking at the origin myths of the signs of the Zodiac. Now, I've decided to divide them up because rather than doing like an episode for every single sign, because to be honest with you, some of the signs don't really have a huge amount attached to them. I decided instead to bundle them together according to the element that that star sign belongs to. And then that gives us four elements. There are five Saturdays in January. So for the final week of this theme. I'm just going to be looking at the origin myths behind some of the really famous constellations that you'll probably be quite familiar with like Orion and things like that. So that's kind of how January is going to pan out and February is already looking like we're going to be looking at protective folklore and stuff like that. We are going to crack on with the origin myths of the Zodiac for this month so let's get into it. (laughs) Now astrology has seen something of a resurgence in recent years and star signs used to be relegated to snippets of incredibly vague predictions at the back of the newspaper but now you can find highly skilled astrologers sharing their wisdom on both Instagram and TikTok. Now astrology is an ancient discipline, it does have roots in several cultures and what we call the Zodiac in the West is probably better referred to as the Greek Zodiac and it's the series of 12 signs named after constellations that are found nearby. Now signs are not the same as the constellations for reasons better explained in the Astrology Club blog post which I've linked below and if you listen to the Asclepius episode you'll kind of know what I mean but very very in short... The Greeks divided the elliptic that the Earth travels along into 12 30-degree segments and then they each represent one of the signs for the constellation nearby. So when people say, "Oh, the sun is in Aries, it's not. It's actually in the part of the sky designated to Aries. It's not actually in the constellation. But for the purposes of this post, that doesn't really matter because we're more interested in the origin stories of the signs. Who or what gave their name or image to each sign What are the myths behind these famous names and we're going to be looking at this from a mythological point of view. And as I said in the intro, the 12 signs of the zodiac are divided into four clusters of three signs and then each cluster takes its name from one of the four elements. So this time we're going to start off with the fire signs which are Aries, Leo and Sagittarius and next week we'll be looking at the earth signs which are Taurus, Virgo and Capricorn. Please don't expect any astrological interpretation of the signs because I'm not an astrologer. But if you do want something like that, then I highly recommend that you book a reading of your natal chart with a trained astrologer like Amaya Rock at Heart Warrior Path, and I'll drop the link to that in the show notes as well. The constellations do appear with different names and forms in different cultures, and obviously those stories belong to those cultures, so it's for them to tell them in their own way. As a result, I'm going to focus on the Roman and Greek myths behind the fire signs instead. So let's get cracking with Ares, the first of the fire signs. Once known as the agrarian worker, Ares became the ram in a later Babylonian tradition. And it's this form with which we're most familiar now, with the astrological symbol resembling a pair of curved ram horns. And early writers also associated Ares with the ram-headed god Amon-Ra in ancient Egypt. Now for the ancient Greeks, Aries marked the first sign in the zodiac because the constellation was the home of the spring equinox and this is the point where the sun crosses the celestial equator. Trouble is, the Earth's axis isn't entirely stable leading to a phenomenon called the precession of the equinoxes and that comes from Ian Ridpath's excellent website. This equinox has actually moved since then by some 30 degrees which is why the equinox now sits in Pisces but despite this, Aries still remains the first sign in the zodiac. And as the first of the fire signs, Ares is actually the Latin name for the constellation. The Greek name was Krios or Ram. Now, the myth behind it runs as follows. Ares is actually the golden ram that saved Phrixus and Hela. And they were two children to King Athamas by his first wife, the cloud nymph Nephila. And if you're interested in her, there's a whole description of her in Stephen Fry's mythos. Now, Phrixus and Hela's stepmother, Aino, wanted the stepchildren out of the way so that her children would inherit Athamas' kingdom. So, basically, a bit of a wrong one. And she orchestrated a famine so that Athamas would send word to the Oracle of Delphi asking for advice. Now, Aino actually managed to intercept the returning message and inserted a fake prophecy that asked Athamas to sacrifice Phrixos to end the famine. So, she's basically asking her husband to kill his son in order to end the famine. Now, Hermes actually gave Nephilim a golden-winged ram named Ares. And Nephilim then sent Ares to intercede on her behalf, obviously to save her son. And Ares arrived just before the sacrifice took place, whisking away the royal pair. Unfortunately, Hela actually fell off Ares's back and drowned. And this explains why the Hellespont is another name for the Dardanelles, because that's where she fell in. Phrixus, on the other hand, made it to Colchis in one piece. And once there, he then sacrificed Ares to Zeus in gratitude, which does seem a bit weird when it was Hermes that was behind it, but never mind. And then he gave his golden fleece to Aetes, who's brother of the great sorceress Kirka, who obviously we met in a previous episode last year. Obviously, giving Aetes the golden fleece won him the favour and daughter of Aetes, And then as thanks for saving Prixus, Zeus's wife Hera placed Ares among the Zodiac. Now, that's one version For Eratosthenes, Ares was actually immortal since he was a creature from the gods, so obviously he couldn't be sacrificed to Zeus in gratitude. And in this version of the legend, he just simply shed his golden fleece and then left Earth after delivering Phrixos to safety. And this explains why the consolation of Ares is so faint. Ultimately I think I prefer that version because I do think it seems a bit rotten to sacrifice a creature that's just saved your life but that is just me and I quite like the fact that he just like leaves the Golden Fleece behind because he doesn't need it anymore and obviously you will probably recognise the Golden Fleece, that is the thing that Jason and the Argonauts later steal. And I should point out as well that Ian Redpath actually notes that in John Flamsteed's Atlas Coelestis, Ares doesn't have his fleece in the Zodiac since it's still on Earth. So whether he gave it away or whether it was taken off him, either way, that's why he's so faint in the sky. So that's quite a cool origin myth behind Ares. So he basically comes in and steals these two children away to safety who are about to be sacrificed. So we're going to move on from there to Leo. And he's the lion of the Zodiac and he's also the fifth sign of the Zodiac. And he's linked with the first labour of Hercules which is capturing the Nemean lion. So I've got to give a little bit of backstory here. So after Hercules goes mad and kills his children, the Oracle of Delphi orders him to perform ten labours assigned by King Eurystheus. And this king sat on the throne that was actually intended for Hercules but Hera had given the throne to Eurystheus instead. So by doing these tasks, Hercules would atone for his crime and achieve immortality. So the first of the labours required Hercules to kill the Nemean lion, and it was essentially so named because the lion was terrorising the valley of Nemea. This lion was a child of either the monsters Echidna or Typhon, or he was the offspring of Selene, the moon goddess. Whatever his parentage, it doesn't really matter, it just obviously gives him some kind of quasi-immortal status and it does mean that his pelt was then immune to arrows so Hercules couldn't actually penetrate it using any of his weapons. The lion, obviously a little bit bothered about the fact that Hercules is coming after him, then retreats to a cave that has two entrances. Hercules blocks up one and then heads into the other one armed only with a club. Once inside, he essentially wrestles the lion and then strangles it to death and then he skins it, apparently using the lion's own claws to cut the skin and then wears its pelt. So not only did this make him look even more fearsome than ever, it also protected him from his enemies. So why did Zeus then put this dead lion in the sky as Leo? Leo. Eratosthenes thought it was because the lion was the king of the beasts and therefore deserved a place in the heavens and other people think it was because it marked Hercules's first victory in his labours and incidentally this is also the only kill he made without using weapons so it's a lot more noteworthy for that reason. So there are some people who believe that's why the lion is then commemorated as Leo and that's basically all there is for Leo so there's not a huge amount that's why I didn't do these as individual episodes because that would have been a super short one. Unlike Sagittarius, which is going to be a little bit more confusing. Now, I do actually have quite a lot of Sagittarius in my chart, so I was quite interested to see what this one comes up with. But Sagittarius is the archer of the Zodiac and he's also the ninth sign. And he's the last of the fire signs. But he's basically got two possible origin stories. So I'm going to explore the first idea, which is the idea that Sagittarius is Chiron the centaur. And then we'll have a look at the claim that Sagittarius is actually Crotus the satire. And you can basically make up your own mind based on each of these stories. So the first version is that Sagittarius is often depicted as a centaur. So he's half man, half horse, popular creatures in Greek myth. Now most legends would agree that this particular centaur is Chiron, he's the most noble of the centaurs and as the son of either Poseidon or Cronos the stories do differ, he's also a demigod. Now Chiron is quite instrumental in some Greek myth because he learns the arts of healing from Apollo which he then passes on to one of his most famous pupils, Asclepius, who we did meet last year in an episode of his own. Chiron was so well respected that kings actually trusted him to educate their sons. So he also taught Hercules, Achilles and Jason. And Hercules then becomes important to this tale as well. So as we saw earlier, Hercules was tasked with these 10 labours in order to atone for killing his children. But for the fourth labour, he had to kill the Irimathian boar. And after doing so, he then headed home because he'd done the labour, he could go home. And while minding his own business, drunken centaurs attacked him. Centaurs are often depicted as being quite lusty and quite fond of carousing. But Chiron is the odd one out because he basically puts learning and healing above such pursuits. Now, Hercules shoots at these aggressive centaurs with arrows that he'd poisoned using hydro venom to defend himself. And unfortunately, one of them hit Chiron by accident. And because Chiron was a demigod, he couldn't die from the wound. The poison, on the other hand, caused excruciating pain and would essentially continue to do so forever. So Zeus then let Chiron give up his divine status so he could finally die and find release from the wound. Allegedly, Chiron gave his divinity to Prometheus, who was the titan who stole fire from the gods and gave it to humanity. After his death, Zeus honoured Chiron by placing him in the zodiac as Sagittarius, the last of the fire signs. So that's one version of the story. The other legend actually explains that the Chiron version explains the Centaurus constellation, not Sagittarius. So in this version, Sagittarius actually refers to a creature named Crotus, and he's a satire because he walks on two goat legs rather than having the four-legged body of a horse like a centaur. Now, I should point out, like Chiron, he was an exception to his race, and he was an excellent musician, very knowledgeable, and also apparently a good hunter. Believed to be a son of the god Pan, Crotus was also a foster brother alongside the Muses and in one legend he made the first bow from a piece of wood and a length of string but then he also apparently invented rhythm and clapping to applaud a good performance. So he's quite musical in his own way as well. And Zeus essentially placed Crotus in the Zodiac as Sagittarius at the request of the Muses. They wanted people to remember Crotus for his archery skills but also for his appreciation of music. So which version is correct? Well, far be it from me to tell the ancient Greeks how to interpret their own myths. But Ian Ridpath points out the constellation was actually of Sumerian origin. So to the ancient Sumerians, the figure is their god of war and hunting and he appears as a winged centaur-like archer. So when the Greeks adopted the figure, they dropped the wings, but they then didn't have any myths to go with it and then they had to try and figure out which of their centaur-like figures could possibly be Sagittarius. So... Eratosthenes certainly believed Sagittarius actually referred to Crotus because he thought that the figure in the constellation more resembled a satire than a centaur and in addition Eratosthenes didn't actually think the centaurs used boats so it does make it more likely that the Chiron myth relates to the centaurus constellation which makes Crotus the better candidate for Sagittarius but ultimately we'll never know. Personally, I prefer the Chiron legend, but that doesn't necessarily mean I may, I think it's more accurate. I just think it's a better legend and a better reason for putting someone in the Zodiac than because they invented clapping. But as I say, far better from me to tell the ancient Greeks what their constellations are. So it, it's up to you which one you prefer. Most people seem to come down actually on the side of Crotus and obviously Chiron still has the Centaurus constellation anyway. So it's not like he's had all this taken off him. But that is essentially the end of the origin myths for the fire signs. I'm not really going to add too much to them because there's already so much packed into them anyway. And people often associate the fire signs of the Zodiac with hot tempers, extroversion and a somewhat theatrical temperament. And it's probably due to the temper of the ram, the power of the lion and then the extreme focus of the archer. So you can see why it is that fire signs traditionally are the ones to get things done. These signs also mark a range of types of myth, so Ares stops the sacrifice taking place, making him quite a heroic character in a lot of ways. Leo is actually a monster, only bested by one of Greek myth's greatest heroes, while Sagittarius is a skilled hunter who supports the arts. So you can take from these legends what you will, but I do think that you can definitely appreciate the noble, powerful and brave traits on display among the fire signs. So I hope that you enjoyed that episode. Next week we are looking at the Earth signs, which as I said earlier are Taurus, Virgo and Capricorn. After that it'll be the Air signs, which are Gemini, Libra and Aquarius. And then we'll finish off with the Water signs, which are Cancer, Scorpio and Pisces. So I'm basically doing them in the order that they appear in the Zodiac essentially. And then as I say, we'll have a look at some basic constellations as well. So I hope that you enjoyed that. Please do let me know if there's any specific consolation that you'd like to hear any origin myths about and I'm quite happy to put that in the last one at the end of the month. But other than that, I, as I say, I hope that you have a fantastic month ahead and I hope that 2021's a bit more kind to you than 2020 may have been. So I will see you soon and cheerio. Well, thank you for listening and thanks for visiting Fabulous Folklore. I hope you enjoyed your stay. If you did, why not consider subscribing in your podcast app of choice? If you enjoy the show, why not leave me a review and help other listeners to find it as well? And if you'd like bonus exclusive episodes of the podcast then why not support me on patreon it does help me to keep the show going and it means that you get a little bit extra every month as well and you can find all of the necessary links in the show notes below so without any further ado i will bid you adieu and i hope that you have a safe travels wherever you're going on to next